Hey everybody, welcome to church this evening. So good to see you all. Good job mixing and or mingling. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Abide, where we're looking at all the different things that God, God's Word does in our hearts. And today we're looking at uh, God's Word in the way that it bears fruit in our lives. And so we get to look at like the abide verse today. Uh, it's the one that uses the word abide a million times. Some of your translations may say remain. Very famous words of Jesus. And this is the kind of passage that could be preached on in like, I don't know, probably an infinite amount of ways. Jesus' words tend to be preachable from lots of different angles. And uh, I hope the one that we're going to take today is life-giving for you. Uh, I'd like to just begin by reading it. And uh, this is John 15, uh, verse 1, 1 to 11. It says this. There's actually Bibles in front of you. Fun fact for those of you that it's, the, it's these ones. I stole one so I could read out of a real Bible today. I figure we're in the Abide in God's Word series. I should read from a real Bible, not an iPad. So feel free to join me in that. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Lord, thank you for speaking these things. Uh, thank you for how profound these words are. And more than anything, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself through your word tonight. Um, pray for each heart here listening, that your spirit would speak in a mighty way and that you'd bring life and life to the full as we engage with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as, uh, as many verses tend to do in my heart, uh, growing up in the church, you hear things a lot, and you hear them over and over again, and then they click at some point after a super embarrassingly long amount of time. And maybe you're like, Maybe you're like me, this is one of the ones that gets quoted a lot, and then you have, oh, that's what it means, and then five years later, oh, that's what it means. And uh, I kind of had one of those as we were, as, as, I was, as, as I was studying this. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what uh, a bit of a misinterpretation uh, could be in my heart, at least one of the ways that I've understood it that perhaps hasn't been the most helpful. And it's when I, when I read this verse, and, and when I read it in the past, especially as, like a, as a teenager, the thing that jumps off the page the most is the fruit, right? It's just there's so much fruit being talked about. And there's the abide part, and then there's the remain part, but God just seems obsessed with fruit in this. It's, I think it's like 11 times. He says, fruit, fruit, fruit. And if you're not, if we don't take a really, you know, uh, if we don't take a careful approach to what this, this passage is trying to say, 
it's almost as though the fruit begins to take maybe too much of the spotlight as perhaps it was meant to. And so, again, when I, you know, read this in the past, it's, it's all about fruit. I was like, wow, God likes fruit. Like, is he hungry? Like, if, why does he want all of this fruit to happen? And, okay, here's the way that I maybe really got it wrong, was there, God keeps talking about all this fruit that he wants you and I to have, and it seemed to me that he was, I mean, I wouldn't have used these words, but that it was a bit of a manipulation of us to, you guys better bear fruit, is kind of the the hum that's underneath this when I read it sometimes. You better bear fruit. And it's almost as though it's like he's planting this impetus in us, this need to bear fruit and show that it's all for real in your heart and gotta have fruit or else. And that's just the way that I, I tend to read this if I don't do it carefully. And it almost as though it adds this weird pressure that I don't think Jesus would ever want to, to put on us in, in kind of that guilt trip manipulation sort of way. But if we're not careful, it, it happens really quickly. And so perhaps you have a pit in your gut, like sometimes I do, when I read verses like this that are filled with tension, where Jesus is being brave in actually saying, it's great if there's signs of you getting it. And I really want you to do this, do this, and it should look like that, and it's eventually going to bear this thing, and there's going to be uh, signs and wonders. And like when he dares to make the, the results of our faith practical, I immediately forget the stuff beforehand. I go, okay, but what exactly do you want? And I, I miss, I tend to miss the whole lead up to it. And this could happen to us too, if we're not careful. So here's the, here's the little nugget that I want to work with for the, for the whole sermon. I'll just say it, and then we'll unpack it in a few ways. But Fruit is the result of being alive, okay? Fruit is the result of being alive. Uh, when I think about, um, when I think about like a tree and you, and you, if you were asked, what's the point of a tree? It's a very existential question, I don't know, but if you're asked, what's the point of a tree? I mean, there could be like, oh, this one provides shade or this one makes grapes to make wine with or whatever, but that's not really what the tree is for. At its most essential level, it's just a living thing. It's a thing that's alive. And then it has ways of propagating itself with fruit or seeds or whatever. And, it, and it's used for things throughout its life to put a slack line in between two of them. And like, that's great. That's not the purpose of the tree. It's just a living thing. And you and I are that way too, where... It's, we do this very quickly. We go, what's my purpose? And then we immediately go, okay, well then what's the output of my life? And certainly there's a way of interpreting the word purpose as output. But if you really ask deep, deep, deep questions, essentially we, we are living things that purpose is like secondary to just existing and being alive and being created and even being here. Uh, Tim, Tim, uh, the second time we've referenced your sermon already today, but the idea that in, in the first chapter of John, the big existential question that he was addressing was, why is there something rather than nothing? It's a very important question to wonder about. And God is saying in, in first John, like, you are because I wanted you to be. Like, I wanted you to exist so that I could know you and love you. A very essential sort of way. You, I want you to be alive, 
And uh, so fruit then is the result of being alive. And if you don't bear fruit, it means you weren't alive. Does that make sense? Like if a, if a, if a, if a gardener were to read that, there's probably not a lot of botanists in the room, but you know, back in the day, everybody, <laughs> this, these, this language is used because it makes so much sense to the time and place of these people. And if you were to say, go bear much fruit, it would have been an immediate translation, not so much to like a, a weight to go have output. It would have been like, oh, fruit like the alive things. Oh, fruit like the things that are alive. Oh, okay. Not, they're not, they wouldn't be thinking so much yield. How big is the grape? It's, oh, fruit like the things that are actually alive. So that's the way that we need to, to be approaching this. Um, so essentially, this passage just isn't just talking about fruitfulness. It's talking about life itself. So that's a big deal. So here's the question that we're going to try and answer. Do you pursue Jesus, who is metaphorically referred to as the vine in this passage, do you pursue Jesus as the giver of life? Like of actual, like the giver of eternal life. Real, real life. This is actually not real life. This is all going to end. You know, it's going to be destroyed. You and I are going to pass away in the natural but real life, like eternal life, the life that God originally designed, the realest of real lives. Um, do you pursue Jesus for that or anything less than it? Do you pursue him for life itself? Or is it, or is it a pursuit for some other reason that has to do maybe more with output or what you can get or those sorts of things? And I think I've done that really often, which is why this verse, I get fascinated by the fruit, right? It's like, well, what's the fruit? And how big is it? And where, how do I make that happen? And I better do it. And I think the whole time, Jesus is talking more about life. So in order to understand this, we're just going to look at the four basic aspects of the metaphor uh, in this passage. And we got the vine. We got the gardener or vine dresser, depending on your um, translation. It just means the owner of the vineyard. The branches and the fruit. So we got the vine, the vine dresser, the branches, and the fruit. We're going to try and learn some stuff from this. So first is the vine. Jesus says he's the true vine and the true source of the sustainer of life. This is what he's comparing himself to. Uh, not as the engine of the output of the fruit machine. It's life itself. It's the place in which he, he is the place in which you can receive life. So, um, I again, thinking back to, to Tim's message about uh, Jesus being like, God being the, lo- Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Like, he is the logos. He's the reason that things are. He's the source of everything. And, you know, John is saying in, in the beginning of this book, going, the reason for everything has actually been made flesh among us. And you've, you, you got to see life itself and he offered it to you. And don't, don't miss that. Don't miss him as a good teacher. Don't miss him as a guy who had, you know, good ideas. Uh, don't miss it. He, he was life, and he's offering you eternal life. So I think this is why we use terms like born again to describe our faith. And we said Jesus gives us new life. Like those are, we're actually born again. You're actually born into real life. It's really great news. So uh, I, I find this so helpful because I'm so tempted to see Jesus as less than that. Don't, don't you guys do this too? Don't you reduce him to something less than 
than the essential nature of all that is and all that matters and, and what lets us be alive? And when you approach him, do you approach him, think, do you approach him saying, save me from death? Save me from all that will perish. It's amazing news. And when we approach, you know, we go away and read our Bibles and go abide in the word. Do you think about it as life itself? I tend to miss that sometimes. I tend to wonder what it can do for me. And I tend to want to make it, it makes me feel good or it's going to be interesting. And it's going to, it's going to somehow make me a fruitful person. But I think it's important to pause and just really for a second go, Jesus is saying he's the actual vine for life itself. It's great news. So then we have the vine dresser. Uh, Jesus is referring to his father. You know, if we separate the Trinity for a second, he's referring to his father as the one who owns the vineyard. And of course, we know that it's also Jesus speaking about himself in many ways. But uh, the vine dresser is the one in charge of caring for the vines, usually the owner of the vineyard. And so God, our father, owns the vineyard and he, and he tends it so it can bear fruit. Um, he, he actually tends the garden. And so I was like, okay, so what? Um, I think it's really profound that he's involved in the process of you and I growing. And there's one sense in which he's the vine, and it's like, hey, you better latch on to me because I'm the vine. And there's this whole other deeply beautiful aspect of he's also the gardener that nurtures us. And it isn't just some cold socket. It's, no, 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 I'm going to nurture you and cultivate you and be alongside you for the journey. And that's actually really profound. I, I'm in the middle of a, a, a master's degree, and, and one of our courses uh, was on biblical theology. It was our first one, and I got to uh, go to Dubai in the summer where our in- intensive was. That was a hassle to get to and from there. Uh, but the, the, the professor of the biblical theology course, we did the whole thing in three days. He went from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, just picking out the big meta narrative of Scripture, maybe I've shared this already, but he... I, I mean, I remember some of what he said. I could look up my notes. But the thing that keeps sticking in my mind is he would pause every, I don't know, hour or two, you know, in the middle of this three-day-long lecture. He'd pause every hour or two and go, man, Yahweh, guys, hey? And because something would happen that would just shine of, like, God's immense character. Just, and we're talking, like, Old Testament stuff that's hard to understand where you're like, is God really good, you know? And then you really start to understand who he is and what he does over the course of time. And you're like, you can't help but just be in awe of his brilliance and power and goodness. And just, and so every now and again, you just have to stop and go, Yahweh, guys, wow, you know? And this is one of those moments for me, if I'm honest, where Jesus is not this cold, I don't know, a thing that we have to try to be like and with and plug into. He's also the vine dresser that's deeply involved in the nurturing and cultivation of you as the branch to bear fruit. And it's one of those moments where I have to pause and go, Yahweh, hey, cares about you. It's one little branch in this giant vine. He's just like, you know, I love the image of the gardener, just caring about every little part of it. It's really impressive. It should make you feel so special. Um, so God's word is the primary way that I think he does this. This is really where a lot of the cultivation happens. It's where a lot of the pruning happens. And I'm so glad that we have his word that helps us be cultivated and be pruned. And so those really are the two things. And I want to talk about them both for a quick second, the cultivation aspect and then the pruning aspect when it comes to how God tends to do that in our hearts through his word.
think he does it through speaking through prophetically. He does it through community and other people's words, but primarily he does it through our, through, uh, through his word. And so there's the cultivation aspect, um, that genuine care for the vine and branches I was talking about. There's nourishing. You know, you read this thing and it nourishes you. It encourages you with promises. It just nourishes your soul. Like, that's true, and I know the end of the story. Man, nothing will nourish your heart like a promise that you can count on. It's just, oh, it's just fertilizer for the soul. Uh, protection. The truths that are in here protect us from lies. That's so handy. Like, no, that's not, that's not true, what the enemy just told me and what that person just said. The amount of protection that the truths in this book afford us is just so like a vine dresser with building walls to keep the vine in. Like, no, 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 it's, we're not, we're gonna live in this garden together and we're gonna build some walls and there's some stuff that you don't have to listen to and it's not welcome in the vineyard. That's amazing. Uh, it makes a way, you know, I think about trellises that, uh, you know, the vine dresser builds trellises and things we can latch onto. He makes a way for us. He, he carves out paths. It's, it gives us insight into where we should go and what we should do with our lives. It's, it's a trellis that we can grow on and attach to, and it's solid, and it's not, it's not, we're not just laying on the ground. It's, it's up and away from that which defiles, and it's protected, and it's, I just think it's beautiful, the cultivation aspect of what a gardener does for a vine and a branch. Then there's pruning. This one's a little less fun. And there's two kinds of pruning. Going back to verse two to remind you, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, so we got one kind of branch that doesn't bear fruit. So uh, the cutting away of dead wood, dead branches, is really important because it breeds disease and it rots and it affects the whole vine and things that are dead need to actually be cut away. So here's what's interesting, though, and this kind of stood out to me as I was reading it. Uh, every, it says every, bran- every branch that, does not, that doesn't bear fruit means there aren't neutral branches. There's dead branches and alive branches. This is, maybe that's, I'll try to unpack why I feel like that's interesting. But I like to think that there's, like, neutral things. Don't you? Like, there's just neutral things in life. There's gray areas. They're not really fruitful, but they're not, like, you know, rotting. Don't you, don't you think that, don't you have like a thousand things in your life that you just hope are neutral because you like enjoy them for some reason? You don't really want to think about whether they're good or not, or they're actually fruitful, whether they really bring life. But this is like every branch that doesn't bear fruit is cut off. Okay, well, what's the fruit? Fruit is life itself. We're going to get to what the fruit is in a second. But if fruit is the source of, like it's the, it's the flowing through of who Jesus is in our lives there's not a lot of neutral branches. I have an example of this in my life. Um, uh, what this feels like to me is the word informing my conscience about things that aren't actually gray, that I'd love to be gray. Like the dead wood gets highlighted as I, as I read this thing. And sometimes I don't want to read it because things become less and less gray. And it's like, ooh, that's not fruitful, is it? Fruitful, life, like it, more life happens because of it. Um, one of these things these days is music for me. I've had a very up and down relationship with music. Um, I really enjoy it. I like leading worship. I, it's a big part of how I worship personally. And uh, I remember I grew up, we were only allowed to listen to Christian music. I didn't like, the 14-year-old me really started to not like that. 
because I was in high school and there was all this amazing music, or so I thought, that all my friends were listening to. And then this thing called the internet happened. You could download music. It would take like three hours, but you could download, you know, in the end by Linkin Park. And it was so cool. And you'd listen to the first 30 seconds and then the first 45 seconds and two days later it'd be done. And you're like, I have a song. And uh, this is the, the high seas of the internet. You know, we're all downloading illegally. And uh, I remember just really wrestling through that. And then it was kind of like the rest of my teenage years, I kind of just got away with it and whatever, just kind of left the, uh, that those, you know, left the walls of the garden, so to speak. And it was fine, you know? And then, but all of a sudden I realized, I think I was like 19, and I realized I was escaping with it. You know, and I hid behind the fact, I was like, I'm learning to play drums, so I have to listen to different kinds of drummers for perspectives. And like, I don't know, I just, that's what I told myself. And, um, but I was running away into music. I'm like, oh, it's not becoming gray. It's, be, it's not gray anymore. And it probably never was, actually. Like, it's not bearing fruit in my life. I remember I cut it all out and um, just decided to one day. I told my best friend, I was like, I think I'm going to stop listening to all non-Christian music. And of course, oh man, all the people in my generation just hate those kinds of lines. Well, what is non-Christian? You know, like we hate when those lines get drawn. And I'm like, I don't know, worship only. Like I had to just draw some line. And that was the summer of being 19-year-old me. That was the summer where I fell in love with worship music, uh, led worship at one of our youth retreats that fall. And worship's been an extremely essential part of my life for the last 13 years. And it bore fruit. Like I cut off a dead thing and it bore fruit. And then in the middle of my 20s, it I, you know, it starts to come back because I learned my lesson and now let's not be religious. And so there's a little, you know, you let a little bleed in and, but I'm like, I'm right back to not, I can't, I can't, again, I can't have it in my heart anymore. I've had one of those things over the last few years where it's like, ah, it doesn't bear fruit, does it? Real fruit. And it isn't gray. So I'm grateful for that. So you read this word and then like, you know, 1 Corinthians 3.17 comes up. Something like, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Like, oh, I'm holy. I'm supposed to be holy. Wow, what a high calling. Okay, cut off the dead things. There's no such thing as gray. I want to bear fruit. Like, make me holy like you are. So that's the dead, that's the dead tissue. That's the not. And that, I mean, it gets a little harder, actually, in my opinion. It also cuts, we are also, he also cuts away living things. Verse 2 goes on to say, you know, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll bear more fruit. What does that mean? I'll just read the sentence I wrote here. Cutting away living tissue so that the life of the vine will not be dissipated and the quality of the crop will not be jeopardized. This may mean cutting away things that seem fruitful but can hinder the fullness of growth and potential to bear much more fruit that will last. So I think nothing tests you like a little bit of fruit in terms of getting distracted from what the point really is. Nothing will test you like a little bit of fruit. Isn't it amazing to see God work through you sometimes? And you see like your gifts are used and, and good things happen. Uh, I had an example, my example of this is that, uh, you know, when you get fruitful, there's little things that start to grow around it. And I'm so grateful God prunes those things. Uh, my example of this is, uh, um, you know, of course, in my later 20s, we had these worship nights that we did. We called up chapel and turned into a youth pastor's network, which was really fun. And God was doing neat things. And uh, I remember there was this like one summer, 
um, where there's this one summer where we had like seven simultaneous worship nights going on in the city. We rented out Playland that summer for like 3,000 kids, and we trained 300 students to do Alpha on 50 different high schools, and we had a centralized training with like 50 tables, and they were labeled by school, and they were all, like all their youth pastors brought them to all get trained to do school-specific outreach. Man, that was so cool. That was like one of my favorite days. I have this picture that I just love. There's 300 kids who all showed up on a Saturday to get trained on how to do Alpha, and then they all went and did it. It's wild. Um, God pruned that in like a super big way, and I hated it. I hated the next two or three years. Oh, man, I was so frustrated. Um, through lots of conversations, and um, I think hopefully the Spirit of the Lord speaking to me, he was just like basically the long and the short of it. He's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not really actually going to do that. And you and your buddies kind of leading this thing in a centralized way is not what I'm doing. I'm like, really? Because this was working really well. And I look awesome, by the way, but I'm not going to tell you that. But like, uh, and he pruned the whole thing. And two years later, so we decided don't, what we'd made, I'm, I made a conscious decision to go, okay, we're not going to do this centralized anymore. We're not going to centralize this whole school initiative because, well, I won't get into it, but the vision was we actually want the local church to grab hold of it, and it kind of became a little scary that the kids were showing up to a network doing a thing. It's like, ooh, we can't really make disciples. Like we, can, we can plan events, but we can't really help sustain you in a lifelong ministry. Actually doing evangelism, that's hard. Like your church has to do this, not us. So that was... And then that's, I think, what God was doing. I think what he's really doing, sorry, I feel like on a sidetrack, but what he's really doing is he's raising up. He's like, he wants to move through his church, you know? And he wants the church to grab hold of mission. And he wants students to inspire and be the next generation of leaders who lead into new things. Like, that's really what I think he's up to. I didn't know that then. All that I could tell was that me trying to go, okay, we're not doing it centralized. We're going to give it away. And we're going to decentralize more and more and more and have more and more other youth pastors do it. And then two years later, there was zero schools doing it. None, 50 to zero. And I literally like, what are you doing? Like, this was working fine. And I'm, I'm real, God just started to show me if I don't prune what's largely your pride actually, like around your heart, like I'm, I'm the one who brings the fruit and I know what kind of fruit I wanna bear in your city. And if you're gonna choke out this little tiny little spud of fruit with your pride, like, we got some big issues. And so I'm pretty sold out on this idea that God wants to revitalize the church in our city through youth. Pretty sold out on that. Turns out it takes a really long time for that to happen. Turns out you can't really have these heroes who, you know, do centralized things and make hoodies and albums and, you know, make it about themselves kind of accidentally for the short-term fruit. And God's like, snip. And I'm I'll be honest with you, I have to work through every day whether I trust him that that was a good thing. But then every now and again, I look around and I go, oh my goodness, there's, there's more fruit budding up. And most of the credentials that I would say, I don't know if you can agree with me, Jesse, but I'm pretty sure that most of the credentials that this Youth Pastors Network has is that we didn't keep going. Like we didn't keep doing the centralized thing. And these youth pastors of today, like a few, few years later going, hold on, you guys actually want to see something change systemically, don't you? Because you would have just had a coffee with the youth pastor two weeks ago. He's like, you really want to, you really believe that the church can change? 
I'm like, yeah, I don't have another, I don't have another choice. Anyway, I'm belaboring the point, but the idea being nothing tests you like fruitfulness and maybe God's done something in your life where it's like, why did you stop that? Why did you stop that thing that was working? And he's like, oh, I'm the one who brings the fruit and I'm the one who, who is gonna bring forth life and you have to trust me in this. And I'm really grateful that he does. So I think life to the full, as Jesus liked to describe it in many ways, is one that constantly subjects itself to the shears of the vine dresser. Constantly subjecting, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing? Cut away, cut away anything that's not bearing fruit. And even things that are, prune them so that fruit that will last happens. And I want fruit that lasts. The branches, that's you and me. The great thing about all this is the branches doesn't actually have to concern itself with what kind of fruit it should produce. Its only concern is that it should stay connected to the vine. And again, when I hear that accident, I think, oh, so it can bear fruit, right? It's like, no, so that we can have fellowship with Christ. That's why. So abide in me, like remain in me, so that you can be alive. And then alive things bear fruit. <laughs> but remain in me to be alive. The course that I'm in right now, sorry for referencing it so much, but the course that I'm in now is the history of missional movements. Super interesting. We're going through from the, you know, since Jesus left this earth to now, all the different movements that have basically changed the world and advanced Christianity. So you've got like the Jesuits and in Catholicism, you've got the Moravians, you've got, uh, you've got the student volunteer movement, you've got, you know, Charles Wesley, and then you've got the Reformation and all these different things about where God just, Something happened usually with one or two people and then crazy multiplication happened from whatever he did there. Really funded study. But there's one thing that's really consistent in all of these movements is there was one or two people that just abandoned everything to bring, like, to, they were, they were uh, compelled by the idea that they were gonna go save the world. Like, the we need to go bring life to those that are dying. We need, to go bring, we need to go save lives. And the extremity that some of these people went to, sailing across vast oceans for months and months, leaving behind so much, abandoning all these different things. I mean, you don't do that kind of stuff if you don't think that it's gonna actually save lives and bring real life. So his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. It's just what happens. The branches can't produce fruit on their own. They must draw life from the vine. So I think that what happens is that we have, you know, as life flows through us and as we connect with the vine because we want to be alive, that same thing starts to bubble up inside of us and that's what fruit really is. So what is the fruit? Well, it's a byproduct of staying in the vine and I think it's to feed a hungry world. I really do. I, I think that God wants to feed this world with life. <laughs> and people take a bite, so to speak, of something that's different and new. And, and the it's called the fruits of the Spirit. I, I just love that. And every single one of those things is a relational word. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. It's all relational words. It's all meant to be feasted upon by another. They're not, like the fruits of the Spirit are not tranquility, wisdom, excellence. They're not isolated words. They're not you by yourself words. All the fruits of the Spirit are engaging with the world. And so we are alive in Christ 
and there's fruit that's born in us that's directly from him because he wants the world to feast on what is real and good. And he wants, to t- and wants people to taste of what real life is. And so I concern myself so much with being like, am I doing the right things? And am I creating fruits? And is it, ah. and it's just too much pressure. It's too much pressure. Instead, I'm going to go, Lord, I want to be alive. And I want, I, want, I want to have life to the full. So would you prune me? Would you cultivate me? And with, I, it's going to cost me something I know, but I don't want to concern myself with what fruit, how. But I do want you to feed this world. I do want you to feed this world. I want people to taste of what, of, of what I've gotten to taste. And so if you would use me for that, I'd be more than grateful. And prune me unto that end. Please, Lord, would there be fruit in my life so people can know who you are? I think that's a better way of approaching the fruit thing. It's not an impetus, go, you better have some. It becomes a desire of our heart to go, man, it'd be great if I could share this. Man, it'd be great if I could have a little thing to share with someone. That sounds like a great reason to want fruit. So as we pursue Jesus as nothing less than the life, than the giver of life, fruitfulness becomes a reality and not a goal. I'll read that one more time. As we pursue Jesus as nothing less than the giver of life, fruitfulness becomes a reality, not a goal. And so today I would ask you, do you pursue Jesus as the giver of life or or anything less? Anything less than that. Uh, We get to take communion today. Those of you who are doing that, you can get ready. Uh, We're going to hand that out during the first song, and then then we'll take it together in between the the songs. So I'll come up and lead us through that. But communion is a great, uh, I mean, it's a great response to any sermon. But I think about what it was, what communion really is. It's, it's that sustenance. And, and blood, it, the reason why in the Old Testament, fun fact, the reason why they didn't, you know, couldn't eat anything with blood in it is because they saw blood as the source of life. You're not supposed to eat life. It's, it's life. It's precious. Don't, it's not supposed to be in your food. You can't have your steak rare because there's life still in it. They didn't have a scientific understanding of what blood was. They had a spiritual understanding and it was life. And I think that's what Christ offers us. This is life and it's, and it's sustenance. And that's a really profound thing to see communion as. Going, wow, you saved me. And I'm alive in you now because of your blood. That's just, that's a beautiful fact. So today, that's my prayer for us. Lord, thank you for, for being such, such a good vine and Lord, the source, you are the source of life. You are the logos. You are the word that was before time. And you created this world. And you get to decide what real life is. And you've made a way for us to have that here and now. And so Lord, we just say we're grateful. And Lord, I pray that you would make us so fruitful as we abide in you as we abide in your word and we let it cultivate our hearts and we let it prune us, Lord, I pray that, that life would be, that we would experience life to the full as we let you do that. And Lord, I pray that you would bear much fruit through us. It would be our absolute joy to be fruitful people so people could taste of you. I pray that the fruits of the spirit would just be poured out through your children here. Lord, would we see Kindness and patience and self-control just be the kinds of things that we are because we have life in and through you. Father, would you bear fruit in our community? Would, not only would you bear fruit, but would it be the desire of our hearts to know you and have life? 
You have come so that we may have life. Father, right now, I just pray for any heart that is confused or uh, hasn't understood or is feeling like their heart is hard or bored. Father, I would just come against anything that would want to rob any of us from what you are trying to say, what you were trying to say then when this was written, and what you're trying to say right now by your spirit to every heart. And I believe it's, I want to raise you from the dead. I want to give you new life. Each of you can hear that from him if you ask him. Lord, would you hear our prayer? Tell us that to our hearts. Would we whisper it to you? Lord, give me new life. I want you. I want to be connected to you. I want to abide with you. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thank you.